Hello, welcome to the Dear Writer podcast. I'm Sarah. And I'm Ashley. We're two aspiring collaborative authors sharing our writing journey with you. The ups, the downs, and everything in between. Whether you're just starting out or a more experienced writer, we hope that you'll find this podcast inspiring and thought-provoking. And here's the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Dear Writer. And today we are recording episode 104, which is another one of our craft episodes. We're on to part two. Um, If you weren't with us last week, we were talking about tension um, from lackluster to blockbuster and creating tension in your novels. Um, So it's really exciting. We can continue the conversation in this part two. So last week we talked quite a bit about what tension is, why tension is important, and we started to go over some of the different types of tension you can create in your novel. Uh, So if you want to it's kind of quite a good background to what tension is. So feel free to go back and check out that episode from last week if you're interested. Today we're going to be talking a bit more in depth about some of the techniques that can be used to create tension. Um, and the first one is foreshadowing. So I thought we could have a bit of a chat about how we can use foreshadowing in our novels to create tension. Sarah? So foreshadowing helps build the anticipation part of tension and small clues and hints lead the reader to anticipate that something is going to happen and in doing so it also helps readers engage with your story. So when I think about using foreshadowing as a tool, for some reason I've always, to me, foreshadowing has always seemed like this really complicated literary device. I'm like, ooh, foreshadowing. Like, <laughs> I don't know why, but to, it's always seemed kind of difficult to use and like sort of not overwhelming. What's the term? A bit, um, there's a word that I want to use and it's just not coming. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. For whatever reason, you know, I've not really been keen on trying to include it like foreshadowing um but then I realized that actually I do it without even knowing about it because (laughs) it can be as simple as a line of dialogue um or an object of significance that will play a greater part later in the plot and you don't always even need to think consciously about adding it in sometimes it just comes naturally so if you're worried about using foreshadowing like I have been like don't be, it's really not a big deal when you look at what foreshadowing actually is. So, for example, I wrote down a few examples. Oh. So, in When the Rain Falls, <laughs> and this particular line was in there right from the first, like, rendition of When the Rain Falls. And so, <laughs> I was like, you know, this is how easy foreshadowing is to make. <laughs> Like, we made it as teens, and it still remained, because it was a great line. But in the first chapter, um, in When the Rain Falls, when Dylan and Levi tell Dylan's mum they're planning on going on a hunting excursion, her comment is, just don't go getting yourselves shot. (laughs) (laughs) To which Levi says, we'll try not to. So it's like a really simple thing, but things like that before the action has actually began gives the reader whether they note it consciously or not the thought what if someone does get shot will someone get shot (laughs) 
And these questions add tension and propel the reader to like further into the story. Um, and as another example, in our ancient Greece book, in one of the first chapters, our character Simon visits a museum in modern Greece, because we have both modern Greece and ancient Greece in our book, if you're not aware. And he in this chapter, he holds an ancient Greek spear, and little does he know that he will become much more familiar with the weapon as he time travels to the past and as the plot <laughs> unravels. So it can just be like really simple little things that add tension as the book unravels. What about you, Ashley? Well, first, I think you picked some great examples. <laughs> <laughs> I had forgotten about uh, the Levi Dillon line, but it does work really well as foreshadowing and you're right that it's something you put in and I feel like when you, we put it in at the start you're like ah ha ha this is funny yeah it was like almost put in and it was almost too cheesy the way it was put in so I think you know it stayed there we've like integrated it better <laughs> let's just say it's definitely integrated better than it was in the past yes um, so for me, foreshadowing, I agree, is a really great tool to use. And like Sarah mentioned, it's where the author drops little clues and hints about what is or what might happen. And when you use it right, uh, it can be used to build anticipation and ease, curiosity, and also give your readers the sense that something isn't quite right here or something feels off or wrong about the situation. And like you said, Sarah, it then makes the readers, you know, anticipate that something is going to happen, but when will it happen and what will happen? I also thought an, something worth mentioning about foreshadowing is that you can use it to make some of your more outrageous plot points feel a little bit more plausible if you've had, you know, some of these clues dropped in earlier on in your novel because your readers are already thinking something weird might happen. And then mm -hmm. you're like, surprise, there's ghosts. They're like, I knew it. Or <laughs> 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 whatever it might be. And Sarah gave some great examples from When the Rain Falls and from our ancient Greece book. And I think I've been more consciously putting in foreshadowing in the ancient Greece book now as well. I don't know if yeah. that's just because I'm getting better at writing, but there's a few instances <laughs> where I'm like, ah, I can put something here that's a little bit of a teaser about what's going to happen, you know, in the end or in like five chapters time. I think it's really helpful, even like editing you know, recently when I was doing The Price of Pandemonium before handing it over to Ashley, um, you know, there was a section that needed to be rewritten. And I was like, oh, I have the perfect opportunity, like right here <laughs> to add some foreshadowing for the next novel. So I think that was really fun to do. And it's one of the benefits of when you have like more than one draft like lined up <laughs> <laughs> is that you can do that. But you don't always have the opportunity to do that, especially if you're kind of like pantsing each novel as you go. But um, potentially if you're a potter, use it to your advantage. Yes. And, you know, if you're a pantser, you're going to go back and edit. So you can always go back and add some yeah. fun little clues or some, some fun little bits of dialogue that get your readers thinking. That seems to be the easiest way 
or at least when I was thinking about our ancient Greece book, to drop stuff in. Just yeah. a little comment here or there in dialogue that kind of feels not necessarily, not necessarily throw away, but you're like, oh, interesting, but also very interesting. <laughs> yeah. So the next tool I thought we could talk a little bit about is how authors can use inner conflict or internal conflict within your characters to create tension. Um, and I was going to say, Sarah and I both like character, so <laughs> shall we both have something to say about it? <laughs> yeah. So because I like character so much, I always think that although the outer plot of the novel is important, I mean, you must have some sort of story after all, it's to me also often a reflection of the inner conflict, though. Um, the inner conflict is what drives tension because it's not what's happening that's creating the tension. What's happening is literally just an event. This happened, that happened, right? But how will it affect your character? Because you have to remember that your readers see the story through the eyes of your character and the stakes for your character can be deeply personal and are enhanced by the character's backstory and the way they interpret the world around them. So your character's feelings are key in building tension and different characters will have a different reaction. So choosing your point of view character wisely is very important. And we've talked about um, point of view in a previous podcast episode. So you can always go back and listen to that one as well. But I remember, you know, switching viewpoints in When the Rain Falls from Lizzie to Grace in chapter two to chapter three and I've got another example it. Um, because of Grace's backstory, she's naturally a much more fearful character right from the beginning of the book. And it definitely shows from the very first line. While Lizzie's sort of somewhat in denial in, of the events that are unfolding, you know, she, she certainly <laughs> feels uneasy. It's not that there's no tension, but she isn't yet panicked, you know, whereas Grace is kind of on high alert. Um, <laughs> yes. So Grace's chapter kind of, it's not the the very first sentence, but it's close to the start. It says, you know, the furious knocking on the door resumed and I backed away, my heart threatening to beat out of my chest. So like already you can see that the way this character is reacting is quite different from the other characters. And because her viewpoint is a lot more like tense and she's, a lot more concerned about the stuff that's unfolding, um, you get a lot more tension built in naturally um, with that character versus with another character. So I think in a conflict and the way the characters interpret the world and the conflict that is going on inside of them can translate to the outer world. I really liked the point that you made with point of view. I hadn't really considered point of view in my in my answer, but I do think it can be, you know, a really effective way of bringing about tension in your mm -hmm. novels. Really effective. And yeah, there's quite a few uh, points where we use that to our advantage in When the Rain Falls and also have purposefully chosen specific characters to tell specific parts of the story because we know that they will be, you know, the better narrator for that because of how they will react or how they're going to view the situation. Yeah. I also think that if you're writing multi-perspective that you kind of owe it to your readers to 
see specific situations from a specific character's viewpoint. And we were talking about this before we started is that like sometimes if you let something happen off stage, it can feel like there's something missing. So, you know, you have to make sure that you're choosing the right character to tell the the right story at the right time, if that makes sense. (laughs) Yes, yes. And it going back to what we were talking about off screen or off audio, (laughs) (laughs) um, it is really important to, I guess, identify when it's missing as well because that's sort of what happened. We identified that there's basically there wasn't really any tension around this at all we're like why oh because we just decided not to show it uh this event sort of well it's because the the tension had like dissipated but we hadn't (laughs) seen the event that caused it to dissipate so we're like oh why are they not reacting more because we hadn't the tension was like trying to continue because it hadn't found its like outlet if that makes sense (laughs) yes even though off stage, like something may or may not have happened, <laughs> <laughs> there's like a slight allusion to something having happened. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely needs to be brought to the forefront. I think. Yes. So for me, I think when we're talking about uh, inner conflict of characters to create tension, often it's the inner troubles of your character that are preventing them from achieving their goals and that in itself is enough to create tension so I was thinking you know obviously there's like the physical goals they're trying to achieve and however your character is wired is really uh, really affects how they're able to do that and I was also then thinking about you know trying to think about it from I guess a like a relationship perspective as well so you can think about the character you know who's had their heart broken so many times and is now afraid of commitment but the person they're um, attracted to the readers know is perfect for them and they're standing right there and then you're like (laughs) will the inner conflict of your character stop them from making the right or wrong choice here because you all know the choice that they should make but all the backstory that's led the character to this point like can they overcome it you know that's the kind of tension (laughs) uh, that can be created uh, through inner conflict and obviously I've given you a romance example but you can use it in lots of different examples but how who your character is and all of their backstory and all of the foreshadowing like we talked about before like how all of that plays in to making the reader wonder like what decision is the character going to make um and I think when you've written a book well uh there should be like that question like you're like they're gonna make the right decision right like I'm pretty sure they are but there's always that doubt <laughs> you're like <laughs> yes I agree The next tool I thought we could talk about is the ticking clock, (laughs) um, which is obviously a device used for creating tension. I will add, there are lots and lots of other tools um, that you can use to create tension, but we're just going to focus on a few or we'll be here forever. So, so yes, we're going to talk about the ticking clock now. So, Sarah? So, a ticking clock is created by the use of a time limit. And, you know, it's like, this has to happen before X point or all else, all hell is going to break loose. Um, So 
Ashley's kind of mentioned in her notes, and I agree that the obstacles they face should grow in difficulty before the timer goes off, so to speak. You know, you might never get to the time limit. The character might well work things out in the nick of time. (laughs) But creating the illusion that they're not going to make it and fooling your readers into believing this could go either way is key to this technique. And I would say that if you never let your characters fall victim to trouble, um, the readers aren't going to care about the ticking clock because they know that you'll save your character before it gets hard anyways. And so when we use this technique, I feel like we like to try and have a mix of situations where they don't make it before the timer goes off and others where they do, um, which kind of keeps the readers on their toes. So certain events you'll find, you know, like as you're writing, certain events you will have to divert and the character will have to, like, in quotation marks, win. Um, (laughs) Yep. But for others, you may, like, ones that aren't quite so important, you might find it helpful to let them fail, which will build tension at other critical moments in your book. Um, So that was kind of, like, the main thing I brought away from the the ticking talk is that if you use it all the time and always get your character out of the situation, then it's going to be like a crying wolf situation where the reader's like, yeah, I've seen this before. (laughs) <laughs> and it doesn't build any tension because that the readers just know that it's gonna work out so i think you have to have that doubt yeah sorry i just think it's also important to similar vein um or if they're going to not make the deadline don't just have there be oh ha, ha, there was no consequences after all like everything's yes, fine yeah. <laughs> like you know there still has to be some sort of consequence and maybe they manage to get out of that consequence and that's fine but I feel like you do need to make sure that you uh, ensure that there is something that happens to your character if the time does run out on them whatever that may be and I would say if they do get out of the consequence then it almost like carries into like a new um, scenario where you're like okay so this because the tension's not really resolved so you're like okay so like you know this happened and maybe they got out of it well then use that like tension of like oh the character hasn't learned their lesson yet to create like a new situation to like vamp up the tension even more for the next time that's what i would advise (laughs) (laughs) i think that's good advice I was going to just i'll just add in that the ticking clock is you know, obviously really commonly associated with thrillers where you've got, you know, the obvious time ticking down, the nuclear bomb's going to go off and you're like, blink, blink, blink. Um, <laughs> but it is also, uh, you can use it in any setting. So think about, you know, if we go to a romance, the character having to choose whether they want to be with this person before they leave on their big trip overseas and they'll never see them again. <laughs> that kind of thing. So I think Will it's they really... won't they cancel the trip. Yeah, exactly. They're going to be too late or they'll run to the airport before, you know, the love of their life departs on the airplane. <laughs> Thinking of love actually with that little kid running through airport security. <laughs> anyways um so it doesn't have to just be used in thrillers you can use the ticking clock in a lot of different ways and a lot of different genres to i think similar or the same effect 
Yeah, I agree. Uh, as Sarah said, I had written that, you know, as the clock ticks closer to midnight, I guess, you do have to keep ramping up the pressure and not necessarily letting all of the tension that you're creating dissipate. So that usually means um, the closer to the deadline you get, the bigger the obstacles the characters are going to face, um, just to keep building, generally. I think um, you, Ashley, you did this really well with, I was just thinking of a, the first chapter in The Prize of Pandemonium, where oh, they, yeah. I don't want to give too much away, but they end up in this situation where they're trying to escape like a tangle of like ropes and stuff, (laughs) (laughs) which sounds really (laughs) abstract and confusing. (laughs) Um, Sorry, I was trying to like work out how to describe (laughs) it without giving it all away. Um, But (laughs) basically what it is. I love people who have read the first one will probably be able to work out what I mean from this. (laughs) So if you haven't read it, maybe you should. Uh, <laughs> but they're trying to like, and and they can't like escape, and and they're like, hurry, hurry up, they're coming. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're like looking behind them, and like, yeah, I feel like the tension was <laughs> created really well in that first chapter. <laughs> trying to get out of the tangle of ropes. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> They were quite literally stuck. (laughs) Um, Oh, dear. So I thought we could now briefly talk about flashbacks and whether or not they're a good device for creating tension. Sarah? I think they can be useful as long as they are curated carefully and have a point to them. So it's necessary to know a certain amount about a character to build any kind of tension, Um, like I said before, because the character's backstory is pivotal in how they interpret the events, and so will be pivotal in showing your readers why they should care and the investment part of tension. Sometimes rather than building their backstory in dribs and drabs, so like, you know, you're like usually want to add backstory in quite naturally like a, a couple of like random points here and there and like you slowly learn more about the character um as things go on um but sometimes that's not easy to do and it can be easier to sh- use a memory um to show the effect something has had on your character and create foreshadowing but I would be very selective because too much backstory and too many flashbacks and the plot never moves forward is your main issue. So, you know, if you have too many of them, then you're not going to be able to create that tension because your plot won't be moving forward in a way that your readers will care about what's going to happen because they're like, they, you know, it's like, can you see the the wood for the trees kind of thing? <laughs> yeah. So I think that's just the thing to be aware with flashbacks is if they're used sparingly, I think they can be useful if like a character's not really wanting to divulge something from their past maybe and it's something more personal to the character, especially if you're in like a first person view, like a memory of something can sometimes be a way that the character can give information without like 
saying anything or like thinking consciously about it. Yeah. Anyways, what do you think, Ashley? I think I well, I definitely agree that I think flashbacks are generally they're useful, but it depends on how and where you are using them. So I think in small doses, they can be, you know, really good at helping establish backstory. And like you said, Sarah, aid in foreshadowing. But I think where they are used in the book is really important. For example, having a character have a flashback immediately before some sort of like big conflict moment that reveals a lot of like random backstory that you need for like the upcoming conflict that's like two pages away is not the right spot to use a flashback if that makes any sense you're Mm going to want to use them well I think you can use them sparingly to give us relevant details to their backstory I guess sort of spread throughout your novel rather than using it to plant clues just before something major happens basically (laughs) yeah that's my thoughts about flashbacks they're quite fun to write i do enjoy the odd flashback yeah i was just thinking about like sometimes when we've used them before we've i feel like not necessarily creating tension (laughs) (laughs) maybe not purposefully i don't know Um, But, like, sometimes it will be, like, smack bang in the middle of conflict that we've had flashbacks, like, a couple of situations. But, like, it's very specific to the the stuff that the character is going through. If you're going to – and it's – I would say that it's really hard to do that. (laughs) In fact, I'm working on it at the moment. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, how do I weave this in? Like – I was like, this is a really cool like flashback, but at the same time, like it's it's challenging to weave in because they're like <laughs> in the middle of like an action scene. <laughs> it does help slow it down because that was the reason it was initially created, because I was like, oh, it's too fast. And I needed something to slow down there. <laughs> it's always the issue with our teen fiction though. It's way too fast. That's the main thing. As long as you know it's gonna slow something down. Because that's yep. Generally, you're going into the past, you're going to slow down <laughs> to get into the past. And I guess unless your book... Going backwards. <laughs> so unless your book features, you know, prophets and prophetic things, don't use flashbacks to make it sort of like a prophetic way for them to figure out how to get out of their situation by suddenly flashing back to their whatever event and just before they're going to need the information. Maybe just do it sooner. (laughs) Mm. Let the reader forget that they read it, and then they're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, So for a final point, I thought we could talk a little bit about some writing techniques that we can use for creating tension. So things like sentence length and structure and a bit more technical stuff like that. Sarah? So the main thing that I put was don't be in a rush to solve your character's problems. Um, So, you know, let them stew in their misery for a bit and the tension will build. Um, So sometimes the most benign scenes can carry a lot of tension because the longer a situation goes unresolved, 
the more anticipation builds. So you can like, you know, create a situation and then like come back to it. You don't need to resolve things like immediately after. Um, Remember that tension is like that rubber band, um, which I discussed in the last episode. So often when action truly starts, the tension snaps and to build tension, stave off that action scene for a few beats. And again, don't always let your characters win, let them lose sometimes too. Those were my kind of tips for writing tension. I think those are some good tips. Uh, My big one was to have multiple sources of tension. (laughs) So don't just rely on like relationship tension or don't just rely on your major plot twist in the middle. Have a good um, mix of tension, different sources of tension in your novel. Um, And I think that can really enhance your book and make it feel a lot more engaging for your reader to read. Because even if you resolve one sort of source of tension there's still all that other stuff going on in the background that keeps you know your your reader questioning what's going to happen next yeah so that would be my main one um did you have anything else you wanted to add about tension or should we move on to mistakes of the month then nope I feel like tension was a large topic it was really large I had to (laughs) pare down so much I could have gone on for so long I found so many like interesting tools interesting techniques we could talk about and I was like no maybe I have to have like a part three at some point who knows maybe (laughs) we'll save that sometime in the future yeah so did you have any mistakes of the month this month um well I didn't think I did (laughs) but I was literally I was Oftentimes when I'm writing these days, it's like I'm one-armed because I'll be like holding Julia asleep in the other arm (laughs) and trying to type like, and I'm like miles away from my keyboard because that, you know, she's, she takes up some space and I'll be like leaned back in my seat because then like I find if she's like lying more on top of my stomach, then she doesn't wake up as much. Whereas if I'm like leaning over her, um, right. (laughs) then she like kind of feels the tension in my stomach. So I so I have to kind of like almost be like reclined back with my like arm out in front of me. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> it's really awkward. Um but so I was trying to write none from me this month has literally writing no mistakes from me <laughs> this month. And I wrote none from Mr. This month. Oh no. <laughs> and then you know, then I was like, M dash, wait, that's one. <laughs> <laughs> so there's my mistake that's of the month. Funny. How about you, Ashley? So I didn't personally have one, but I did get one sent in to me from one of our listeners. So shout out to Wendy. So <laughs> I've I've got her message just verbatim, so we'll discuss it after. So it says I was looking at a report someone had written and with no other context, and this is the mistake, Jimmy likes a chew, like (laughs) A-C-H-O-O. It took me ages, but I think it's supposed to be Jimmy liked school, question mark. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it's also maybe school. 
but mm. <laughs> like I don't know. <laughs> Maybe he's just well. sneezy. <laughs> like me at the moment. Well, yeah, I mean like if it's in the context of a school report, I could see that it probably is school. <laughs> I guess it depends what kind of report it was. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna say if it's a school report, then it probably is school. <laughs> but yes. Jimmy likes a chew. Jimmy anyway. likes sneezing. Anyway, thank you for sending that in, Wendy. It made me chuckle. So, should we round this up? Yes, sounds like a plan. So, if you would like to be on an author spotlight episode, then you can apply by going to lindersoncreations.com, hovering your mouse over the podcast tab in the main menu, and there you will find a drop down to be featured on Dear Writer. And next time on Dear Writer, it's going to be the second one of our expert talks, and we're going to be chatting to Lee Murray, a New Zealand science fiction, fantasy, and horror writer and editor. She is a multiple winner of the Bram Stoker Award and a 12-time winner of the Sir Julius Vogel Award. So I'm really looking forward to chatting to, to Lee. Yes. And if you would like to know more about us and our writing projects, you can visit us at the aforementioned website, lindersoncreations.com, or contact us on Facebook or Instagram under the handle Linderson Creations. If you enjoy the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. Tell your friends about us and we'll be back next week. Happy writing, everyone. Thank you.